Welcome to Keepers of the Word. You're here with Ron and Mike, and our special guest today is Daryl Rivers. Indeed. Well, today we're here to talk about the American Civil War and Masonry. Uh, we've known that there's that that this war started in 1861 and ended in 1865. However, there was reports and testaments of compassionate acts by the Freemasons showing a brighter side of those four years of strife and the unusual ways of war. Often fathers and sons fighting on opposite sides as were blood and fraternal brothers and friends was too far common. This allowed the light of masonry to shine brightly even during those troubled times. And Brother Daryl Rivers is going to give us some examples of what happened during those times when brother was fighting brother. So the first thing to set this, set this up is masonry was very popular in the middle of the 19th century. Um, historians argue about the data all the time, but it can be anywhere between 5 and 10% of at-age males belong to some sort of fraternal organization. Most of those would be Freemasons. Um, you also have the Odd Fellows. You have a lot of other organizations that are around there, but it's a, a huge part of, of life during the Civil War. And it's because of that that you're far more likely to see interactions between brothers. And it's not necessarily profound that, that the um, you know, masonry influenced the war. Nobody's saying that, but they're saying that good people were in that war and that good people had those compassionate acts, whether it be for burials, whether it be to spare a brother's life, spare a brother's property, uh, help a brother's family. There are so many different um, examples of that, and they're, they're really touching to read about. I think when, you, when, you're, when you're in the history field, the, you finally get to the point, and this is probably a lot of different professions, you finally get to the point where you know how much you don't know. Huh. Have you ever had that? Yeah. Where, where you finally reach the point where you're, wow, there is just so much that I don't know. You know, you never trust the guy that says, oh, yeah, I know all about that. <laughs> so I've finally reached that point for Freemasonry and the Civil War, I think, because it's I stopped really thinking about it as something that you can just be the expert on. But there's there's really just thousands of experiences. And, you know, we have in the historical record hundreds of examples of that that you can share that you can research and read um and so hopefully i get to share a lot of those i kind of want to start with my experience with that because i'm not i haven't written anything on freemasonry in the civil war i'm not a particular expert but um that's what i, I was i, I was going to ask how you got started yeah, what what piqued your interest I, I get to work with the civil war on a regular basis i'm a historical advisor for film and tv um, and I also do um, you know, work with various historical projects around the country, um, and I run reenactments. And my family started um, some of the first reenactments out in California. So now um, being involved in reenacting, um, that actually got me involved in masonry. Um, I, I saw a guy with a Masonic watch fob, just like a lot of the real... Uh, Civil War stories. I saw a guy with a Masonic watch fob, asked him about masonry, 
and he recommended that I um, uh, go see Worshipful Grace. And uh, he happened to be on the other side. I usually wear gray. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have all kinds of impressions, but I usually wear gray in the regular reenacting events. Um, and I went across the lines and met Brother Grace, and, and he uh, um, you know, became my great friend and, and mentor. And we started to portray that in our reenacting world. So we we started um, using your Masonic yeah, connections yeah. as a story within your reenactments. Yeah, and start starting to build that. You know that we might have known each other before the war through that, or um, you know we we might act like we don't know each other on the battlefield, but when one of us surrenders, you know we'll have some sort of recognition, and we'll get some you know some compassion across the lines. Um, We've also held not a lodge but a meeting across the uh, across the lines where we had you know there's we're at an event and there's the camps are pretty far separated and we'll meet in the middle and have a Masonic exchange on the quote unquote battlefield hmm. um, and Is we'll you know we'll we'll approach carefully historically um, was that something that yes, actually happened yeah yeah. And uh, it is it is very common in the Civil War, and I think that's one of the weird things. Is you don't have that in a lot of other wars. Mm-hmm. Um, there are great examples from the American Revolution. Um, there's there's an instance of a British military lodge's jewels um, and their their lodge furniture getting captured by the Continental Army in the American Revolution, and George Washington sends the stuff back. So there's a great example of that, and that's uh, Revolutionary War is actually why I'm shaven this week and, and, <laughs> and the next uh, few weeks is because I have um, working on Revolutionary War things. And in the 18th century, there's this cultural stigma about um, Bearded facial thing. hair. Yeah. And so I'm on a beard cycle. It goes from, from uh, clean shaven to Civil War to Santa and then back to <laughs> Revolutionary <laughs> War. So it's it's my... It's my cycle. But yeah, you see it in Revolutionary War, see it in the War of 1812, you see it in the Texas War of Independence and the Mexican War, uh, you see it in the Wars of Independence in South America. Um, so it's prevalent it in, in war gen- yeah. in general. Well, you see it in, in those examples, but not necessarily ones where the culture isn't that similar. You see it a little bit in the Franco-Prussian War. Um, but you're not you're not seeing it as much in say the First World War, um, or or in a war that's between two very different civilizations like the uh, you know the um, opium wars. Uh, you're not you're not seeing it as much in um, wars against the Indian states, um, but it's that special circumstance where there are. Americans who have a high prevalence of membership in the fraternity that are participating in this brutal that, war that were born out of yeah. England, yeah. English lodges, and yeah. So, and I mentioned military lodges. Have you have you talked about military lodges? No, before? We, we have not, and we actually had a military lodge. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of the it's one of the most interesting um, ways in which Freemasonry has spread around the world. Um, there's a great book. Builders of Empire, 
Um, it's, a, it's a great book to read about the influence of British Freemasonry around the world. And between um, lodges that got their dip- dispensation from um, Grand Lodge of Ireland, Grand Lodge of England, Grand Lodge of Scotland, um, regiments in the British Army were given these usually two-year dispensations to meet as a military or regimental lodge. And wherever they went, they would end up initiating people in that community. Um, and so they, you know, in turn spread Freemasonry wherever they go. And a lot of lodges then um, get their dispensations, you know, recommended through regimental lodges. So a lot of the... Um, a lot of the lodges around the world can trace their Masonic heritage through these regimental lodges. Um, and, and that's actually how a lot of Masons during the Civil War um, get initiated, through these regimental lodges. Oh, wow. So I have go. a friend who was actually in um, Japan, I believe, Okinawa, when he joined Masonry. Wow. So his, his, mother lodge yeah. is, his mother lodge is in Japan. Yeah, that's great. I notice you have a couple patches right there. Is there a story behind those? So the the patches, the pins, it's it's a long uh, history about about yeah uh, absolutely. So I had we'll we'll talk about each each one of these. So there's uh, and there's also one out here that I had made with the with the eye on it there in the middle. Um, there are a lot of stories about recognition. Some of them are for. Um, you know, hoping to be identified, you know, maybe to, to, you know, aim your rifle a little bit further to the left. <laughs> um, some of them are for body identification. There's a lot of really sad stories of um, just a symbol written on a piece of paper pinned to a guy's uniform. Because this is pre-dog tag. There are dog tags. We see dog tags and identification tags throughout the Civil War, a lot of them are privately purchased. And eventually we have um, the U.S. Sanitary Commission starts issuing these waxed paper ones that, that get used. But there's a lot of Masonic insignia, paper and otherwise, um, that get, get used. You, this isn't as common. This is a really nicely made bullion one. Um, I don't think these were as common as handmade ones. And I actually had this made by um, a guy named Joe Valensetti in New Jersey. Um, it's the badge maker and CivilWarCoreBadges.com. But he he we designed this together um, to see what you know a hand stitched um, version, version would look like. And there's there's the one with the eye in the center too. But I have I couldn't find the other two. But I have four versions. Oh wow! Um, I have I have ones for. Uh, um, for my blue uniforms as well. Um, and I, I had just taken mine off. I usually wear it here. It was a little ostentatious, and I had a, I was working on an, uh, a show on the Discovery Channel. I didn't want too many questions being asked about that, oh, so yeah. I, uh, I took the patch off for it, and now I can't find it. But uh, you can see all kinds of insignia. Um, there's actually a lot of poo-pooing of the insignia in the reenacting community because... You know, there's not a lot of existing ones left, but the stories are there. There's always these letters of, oh, I saw a guy with a Masonic pin, and he, you know, was spared by this guy that didn't even know him. 
you know, and they, they, there's a lot, not, not all of the Masonic stories from the war are even from Masons. Um, there, President McKinley, um, he was, would later become President McKinley. He started as a sergeant in the, uh, in the war and eventually um, became an officer, but he was working as an officer during, um, I forget which battle, but he saw an act of Masonic charity. There was a, an officer that was handing out money from his own pocketbook to some other Masons. And he said, you know, was, do you know these guys? And, you know, why would you, why would you do that? And he explained, you know, I would, um, you know, I'm helping my brother Masons. And he said, do you, do you plan on getting paid back? And he said, well, if they can, perhaps, but I don't expect it. And um, he ended up, the quote is, if that is masonry, I shall have some of it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he went and uh, joined one of the military lodges before the war ended even. Then um, he was a mason his whole life. Wow. Yeah. And is there any specific stories that stood out to you the most about, you know, interactions or, you know, compassion, uh, helping each other out? Yeah, there's, a, there's two stories um, that stand out to me about burial. And uh, burial always stands out to me for some reason because my, my family's always been involved with cemeteries. Uh, my mother's on the Orange County Cemetery Board. And my grandmother was on that that board for 25 years before she was. Um, And cemeteries have that very historical connection. So I've always been intrigued by a lot of these burial stories. But there's a a great account of the USS Albatross. And it's this gunboat along the Mississippi River. Um, The captain contracts yellow fever, is having an absolutely miserable time, and shoots himself. They've been shelling back and forth with a rebel battery along the river, um, and they actually send a flag of truce over to those guys. And um, masons from the town nearby um, actually come out and perform a Masonic funeral and give the captain a proper burial on this overlook. Um, And you can still visit the grave today. But it's um, that's that's probably one of my my favorite ones that that um, and there are some other examples too of um, Confederate and Union soldiers coming together to bury a fallen brother, and it, it's not always so simple. There's a lot of examples of uh, you know, men getting shot at while they're trying to do this, um, but there are some really compassionate stories. There's one um, that even is very similar in, off Galveston. Galveston, Galveston, Texas was under Yankee blockade and um, there was a uh, Confederate gunboat boarded another ship. The captain died during the the battle, um, during this fight on the ship. And then they, again, they brought him flag of truce, brought him to the shore. The lodge gave him a Masonic funeral. So there are a lot of these great, great stories about... uh, So obligation really... Well, it really does mean something. I yeah. Mean, I think uh, remember that your obligation, you hear that a lot. And I feel, you know, this is a pretty good example of how deep that, that goes. You know, 
if you think about it, you're 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 at war. You're getting shot at. You're about you you could die at any moment. But at some point, you put all that behind you because you see a brother or you see somebody that you don't even know. Some some of those people you didn't even know, but you stopped everything to help, to you know change and and make something for good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just feel there there aren't many stories like that especially when it comes to war and for me the only thing the only place that I found that was in masonry mm-hmm. and to me it's very interesting that we have all these stories but we don't have them all documented into one book and, yeah. and it probably should be maybe that's something well there is there is a the seminal book I will recommend um and I have to talk uh, I'm always going to go on a tangent like this but my favorite book is called Better Angels of Our Nature. And I think it encapsulates that, 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 you know, this is men being good during the war. And there are a lot of examples of that. Um, there's another book, House Undivided, which is a little bit less academic. And there are a lot more Masonic anecdotes, but I don't think it's as a lot of them are a little dubious. And I think you have that whenever you have Masonic scholarship. People are willing to take that extra leap um, and they don't really look at it as a historian they're looking at it this is written for brothers um, but better angels of our nature hands down um, I owe most of my understanding to that book um, and obligation actually brings up a really good anecdote from that book is there was a mason under court-martial um, and I believe he was going to be executed. And this general, this general gets written to by this brother, and we have his reply. And it's all about, yes, we have an obligation. That obligation is not, is not valid when the brother is acting illegally. That we are not uh, you know, bound to help him beyond you know, saving him. And there's a, there's a point where you can't, help a brother and this guy had repeated offenses ah. um, and so it's we have a great reply from a brother to a brother about you know the limits of your obligation hmm. so it's another it's a little more bleak but it's uh that's another great story from it now the one story i will mention that everyone has an opinion on every serious masonic civil war <laughs> A uh, scholar has an opinion on, and it's the incident that gets talked about with Freemasonry in the Civil War. Um, have you ser- have you seen the monument friend to friend in Gettysburg? No, I haven't. Okay, there's a. It's awesome. It's great. Um, it is a monument depicting General Lewis Armistead dying at Gettysburg, handing off his pocket watch with a Masonic fob to Captain Bingham, a Union soldier. Um, It's supposed to be this Masonic compassion in the battlefield. And it almost certainly didn't happen like that. (laughs) So it's it's a great monument, and I think I like the monument still, even if it didn't occur like that, because it represents everything that did happen. Um. There are a lot of accounts, including, I believe, House Undivided, that says he threw up a Masonic distress signal. Um, he, um, you know, ha- had some sort of call for help. 
there were all of these Masonic things. I think some good men just happened to meet with him, and he happened to be a Mason. Um, and I think a lot of the the great Masonic anecdotes of the war are that. But um, he almost certainly didn't use a Masonic signal of distress, and he didn't hand off a Masonic Bible. There are all of these different Masonic connections. Um, but he was uh, this important general right at the high watermark of the Civil War. This is Pickett's Charge. He was one of the commanders of Pickett's Charge. Um, gets wounded right at the right at the angle um, in Gettysburg. And um, as he's, he's mortally wounded, he's actually friends with the federal corps commander, Winfield Scott Hancock, um, who also happened to be a Mason from his regimental lodge. Um, but they just, there just happened to be a lot of these connections. I don't think he invoked masonry to get any special treatment. He was just kind of an important figure that as he was wounded, um, he was taken care of by the federal officers and, um, probably might have said something to someone he might've recognized as a Mason so that his stuff was taken care of. Because his effects were given to um, his friend, the uh, the Union General Hancock. Oh, man. The, so, they're heavy. This is this is this is the uh, this is the heavy. Uh, so thing. so of the stories, yeah. Do you think that there's more historical accuracies within the stories, or more anecdotal? A, a lot of connections. These, a lot of these come from non-Masons. Okay. Um, this the, there's a lot of stories that that say this uh, this guy kept talking about his mother who was a widow, uh, <laughs> you know. And 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 if if it's not a Mason actually trying to say that, you would you wouldn't. It's he's not making yeah. it up. Um, yeah. It's there's there's a lot there's a lot of evidence, and I think when you read. Better Angels of Our Nature, you'll see the, the academic approach to that. Okay. And, and there are some stories that you shouldn't believe and some stories that, that are really well backed up. The other, I, I want to mention one thing that we haven't talked about at all um, is the families. Um, and some of the best stories are just ladies standing outside their door with the apron. You know, or the apron is tied to their uh, you know, a, a, a column outside their door, and they pass on by. You know, federal troops that are, you know, otherwise burning or looting or um, acquisitioning um, supplies and stuff. There, there are great stories about, um, you know, asking for help, and the guy made sure that they, the family, had enough food um, before the the army moved on. But the the best ones are the angry widows. Um, there's one story of uh, Union troops coming through her house. She said, uh, I forget what her name is, but she, she's, she tried to say, are any of you Masons? And then she proceeds to start beating these guys as they're carrying stuff out of the house. It's not working very well. But then a Union officer comes up, and he's a Mason and makes everything everything fine. Every, all the soldiers go on their way, and he places a guard at the house, and uh, and uh, the widow, the widow was doing fine. 
But sometimes it was just the apron. Apron pinned to the door. So clearly it was an important theme within the war that people understood the role of masonry and and how that would play out. And even non-masons knew that there was this special treatment going on, even to a point where it annoyed people. There was, uh, you heard of John Singleton Mosby Mm -hmm. and Mosby's Rangers, um, uh, they, uh, Confederate cavalry that was uh, marauding through enemy territory, um, a fearsome unit. And he was known for hanging any Union officer he found. Um, and, and the, uh, his, one of his lieutenants was, was a Mason ended up asking him to spare a couple lives and it got to the point where he was asking too much and he said remember this is an army unit and not a masonic lodge um mm. might have said it a little more coarsely than that but, <laughs> but uh you can imagine yeah I mean, it yeah. is war yeah there's no way to, there's no other way to look at it it's war you know? which you know someone i i believe that when we posted that you were going to be on someone made mention about the fact that there were brother were there brothers on opposite sides that were actually warring so obviously that oh, was yeah. something that yeah. was was happening and and it's all basically individual choices about your obligation um there's no official things coming from lodges at the beginning of the war. Eventually, the Grand Lodges kind of actually do go along uh, political lines. Hmm. Um, At first, it's just, you know, Masons don't... We don't have an official opinion as Masons. A lot of lodges disband because so many are either going to war or, um, you know, have to go back across north or south. Um, And a lot of lodges close because of the war. Um. And then eventually you have, you know, something like Grand Lodge of Virginia saying, you know, that you have a duty to protect your country, <laughs> meaning Virginia. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there absolutely were brothers that knew each other, you know, not including uh, General Armistead and General Hancock. Didn't you have a question about a specific confederate? I certainly do. Um, Is he your favorite confederate? Well, you know, I try to emulate him slightly. Yeah. Would you talk to us uh, about, about your favorite confederate? About my yeah, favorite. yeah, yeah. So General Albert Pike, okay, the most controversial, of course, figure, and he's controversial outside of Masonry. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the <clears throat> one of the reasons he was controversial outside of Masonry is he was successful in getting a lot of Native Americans to fight on the Confederate side. Um, he was doing a lot of work out in the Western theater of the war. Um, and so uh, Union troops in Arkansas specifically went to go burn his house down. Um, and that was known to have a huge Masonic library in it, of course. Um, and there's a uh, Colonel Benton went and said, that's my headquarters. And made sure that... Uh, you know, to, to save that house as his own and make sure that uh, that didn't happen. Wow. Yeah. Is there any other stories in regards to Albert Pike? And- not about Pike. Not in about Pike during the war that, that, that I, I have that really stand out to me. Um, there's a lot of interesting stories about saving the jewels. There was a Tyler that was really doing his duty. 
during the siege of Richmond that, you know, he gathered all the jewels from all these lodges and put it in the Grand Lodge building and then stood with his sword outside and there's shells going left and right. And of course, huge amounts of Richmond burned down, but he made sure he protected the, uh, the jewels. Yeah. I think it's, it's something when we look at, um, at the past, it's, it's interesting because we're talking about brother versus brother and in a literal sense in some cases and this this war i mean all is a four-year war but a lot happened within those four years yeah was there anything that stood out to you during that period that was an aha moment for you or something that that really took precedent for you sorry i need you to keep elaborate where, where you're going well, in regards to these stories, okay. was there any specific areas where people were more Masonic here mm. versus yeah, over I, here that they kind of weren't? Yeah. You know, I, was it specific generals that were really upholding their end of the bargain? Yeah, I, I, get, I get where you're going now. I, I, I think what it, what it taught me, if that's the question... Or what, what really stutter, stood out to me is that question of where does your obligation begin and end? You know, what would you do? Correct. And where, you know, you know, at what point are you risking your life more than, than uh, you know, would be... An average soldier. Yeah, yeah. And, and what would you actually do for someone with nearly the opposite political opinions of yourself, but you knew he was a brother Mason? Correct. And so I, that's what the great part of reading these stories is because it's, it's, you know, a terrible war and really great examples of humanity in it. Exactly. And I think if we could look at it in today's eyes I was with, thinking the same thing. with what's going on right now, yeah. Yeah. So our country is very divided, right? And within our lodge, I mean, we have brothers who are on both sides, you know, yeah. fo- folks who are Republican, folks who are Democrat, those who are in the middle. But we leave that at the door, you know. I mean, although I know this person is going down this political path, and I just, for me, it's just not my thing. But we could sit down and have a, a real conversation about life and help each other out and do things for yeah. each other and really be brotherly, right? Um, taking that same thought back into a time where there was no social media, there were no electronics, everything was done paper and pen or yeah. quill. Um, it's it's interesting that a lot of this stuff was still recorded. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, it's, it's like you said, I really don't know anything. There's just so much reference, but at the same time, you know, yeah. where do you start putting all these stories together within the, that four-year span? It's, it's, it's crazy, man. Um, but, yeah, I, when I give this talk, because I've given this talk to lodges all around California, um, I asked them, do you have friends today, right now, that are of the opposite political opinion of you? you know, do you have brothers? Can you civilly talk with them? And you kind of have the same questions come up. You know, and, and at what point would you be willing to risk your life? You know, and and w- what rules are you willing to bend? Yeah. What duty is the most important to you? I think it really comes down to what does the obligation mean to you personally mm-hmm. and how far are you willing to take it? And in these examples, we've we've seen 
guys really put their lives on the line for somebody else and where they where they probably shouldn't have yeah you know? but you know that, that's that's what we do as masons uh, we look after each other we make sure we do the right thing right and in darkness there is light so i have one more anecdote tell me one more anecdote there were also a lot of great examples of um soldiers that were prisoners you know, because the, the prison system was absolutely horrible on both sides. There were atrocities on both sides. You know, Andersonville is still in our lexicon. We still you know, know Andersonville as a bad thing. Um, and there's, there were examples of Masonic charity going back and forth, even at Andersonville. You know, getting a little bit of extra food to that prisoner or maybe letting him go. Can you tell me why Andersonville was so bad? Oh, Andersonville, for those that don't know, Andersonville was a rudimentary prison, more of a stockade that held way more Union soldiers than it should have um, with disgusting conditions, no sanitation. Sometimes the the, um, water trough running through the middle was both drinking water and sanitation. they have the deadline from it where they would put, you know, food on, on one part of the line, but you weren't allowed to cross it or you get shot. There's all kinds of horrible stories from, wow. from Andersonville. And the, some of the most striking photos of the Civil War um, are taken from the Andersonville prisoners. They look like concentration camp victims because it was a concentration camp. The exact same situation. It was a it was a concentration camp, um, and there were atrocities um, by the federal army against Confederates. There were terrible northern prisons that were equally bad. But just as I brought you all the way down, there's a great story hmm. from a a former Andersonville prison uh, prisoner. And he wasn't a Mason during the war, but he said he saw Masonic kindness happen during the war and and during his stay at Andersonville. And he said, there are many things that I must do after this war. I have to visit many of these foreign countries described to me. Wear silk underwear and join the Masons. (laughs) Those are his three things. Wear silk underwear. Wear silk underwear. He's heard great things about it. <laughs> and join the Masons. So. so did Masonry influence the way that prisoners of war were treated moving forward after that? Did it have any, I, I don't any think, control? I, don't, I think there were acts of compassion, but I think the atrocities themselves were what influenced, were what influenced our conduct. But again... We had terrible atrocities in the Indian Wars, in the Spanish-American War. Um, we didn't learn a lot of lessons prison-wise. But there were those shining examples of Masonic charity, even in the darkest parts of the war. But now we know. Got to wear silk underwear. I've never tried. Got to get me some of that. Well, maybe that's the key. I think that's the key to life, right? Yes. Yes. Wisdom from the 1860s. 
<laughs> wear silk wear underwear. Silk yes. Underwear. Visit these foreign countries. Wear silk underwear. Join the Masons. What is that book that you have right there? Well, this is a tangible piece of history, and should I be invited back, I'll also talk about it again. Um, but this is actually an 1865 book of constitutions. So this this book of constitutions was around during the Civil War, oh, wow. and, and that's my one of my favorite Masonic books. Um, but it's it's a Grand Lodge of England um, book constitution, so it's not it wasn't in America during the Civil War, but it was. Uh, from it's, the era. It's period. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you have anything else to, to add? I, I don't have anything else to add. If, you know, anybody wants to hear my Masonic Masonic history talk, I'm around. Um, you know, Lord Rivers on Instagram and uh, um, historicinsights.com is my, is my Historic consulting company. Lord but, Rivers. Do you have any lodges that you're going to be talking at? I soon? have no plans coming up. I'm I'm all open. He's open, guys. Yeah, book him. Yes. book him. Or if and if you don't book me, I'll just keep talking to my own lodge, and they're, <laughs> and they're gonna they're gonna have they're gonna have a problem. They'll be bored to death. I doubt they'll be bored to death yes. because for me, this is always good information, regardless of how much you talk. Which I I'd like to hear it. I, I'd yeah. like to, and I'm pretty sure a lot of our fans are. People who just want to know more information about history and things that happened. And to me, it's very important, and I think you're very important to Masonry. You, you, you give you Agreed. give it back in a in a way that you know not many people can. And I think that's that's how we all bring different flavors to the craft, where we're educating and we're bringing back history, the and we're talking about these things. And I think it's educational. It's you're a historian, and it's a it's a great thing to have and and. A, I'm honored to, to have you on the show. Oh, it's an honor Thank to be on the much. show. Absolutely. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up right here. Yep. Um, thank you for tuning in. We have a couple more shows coming up. Uh, we're talking about uh, our Mystic Lantern Lecture got, Series. Got some events. We got some events with the Mystic Lantern Lecture Series. We also have Esotericon coming up. Um, those things are happening very soon. February 28th is the Mystic Lantern, and Esotericon is October 17th. And tickets are already on sale, so get yours now. Um, anything else you want to add, sir? Uh, I want to thank the Long Beach Scottish Rite for uh, allowing us to be here, have a home. Hermes Lodge will be rolling right in this room that you uh, are watching us in tonight. So um, that's an awesome thing. Yes. And... Um, want to say thanks in our labor of love right yeah, um, sure. another thing is the the socal fashion show here at the long beach scottish right i believe is in march if you want to check that out um i think it's socalfashionshow.com uh, and it will be here be held here at the long beach scottish right um you could go to our website we'll give you some more information there and we'll also post it on instagram and facebook but for right now this is mike uh red dragon and cowboy jesus and daryl um, thank you very much. Coming to you from the northeast corner. <laughs>